Well, hello, Sobble Church. My name is Dave. It's so great to be hosting you this morning. Uh, before we get started, we know that a lot of people are watching during the premiere at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, but lots of other people are also jumping in throughout the week uh, during whatever's happening in your world. On the treadmill, in the car, and commuting, whatever. Grocery shopping? No, probably not. Uh, but wherever you are and however you're watching or listening in this morning, thanks so much for taking some time to join us today. Please know that you're prayed for uh, constantly and, uh, well, we're just so happy that you're here. Uh, we have lots of things going on this morning, but before we get to that, let's do some weekly updates. March the 6th is the date for this year's AGM, and so I'd love for you to mark it on your calendar. The plan is to meet in our regular in-person and online gatherings at 10 a.m. that morning, and then almost immediately switch over to our AGM setup. So we'll have an in-person meeting, and we'll try to live stream that that morning as well. So hopefully you're able to come uh, register ahead and join us for that meeting. Great time to look at what God has done the last 12 months, uh, look what God is doing in the next 12 months and how he's inspiring movement going forward, uh, some decisions to make, some uh, budget things to check out and really just celebrate what God is doing in this awesome ministry. So mark that on your calendar, AGM on March the 6th. We'd love to have you there. March the 6th is also a very exciting morning because during our 10 a.m. gathering, we're going to be hosting a baptism and some baby dedications, as well as our regular rhythm of communion and our benevolence offering will be happening that morning as well. So that's March the 6th as well at 10 a.m., both in person and online. Well, back by popular request, our Diamonds are hosting a second version of the Songs and Stories event that was so popular last month. And uh, so we wanna make sure that you have that on your calendar as well fantastic to hear all that singing float up through the stairwells into the office and I was actually singing along with you. Uh, if you were there, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't there, you missed something, don't miss this one. Here's a little graphic to help you with some of the details. February the 24th from 1.30 till 3 right here at Sobel Church and you can RSVP with the information that is there in the graphic. It was also in the e-blast that went out on Thursday evening, so that might be in your inbox. And if you have any other questions, feel free to call the church. We'll get you all set up for that Diamonds event. As always, there is lots of ways to partner with us financially as we uh, do this great work that God has called us to. Head over to sobblechurch.ca slash giving to find out more of those details and partner with us. And that is it for our weekly updates for this week. Well, as we transition into a time of worship, it's our prayer that you would just really invest in, just lean into him this morning. So whether you're singing along with us at home or tapping your toe and uh, watching, uh, or just thinking about the lyrics or maybe doing something else creative, uh, this is your time to just really be with the Father. And so thank you so much for investing the time with him. Let me pray for you as we do that, and then we'll come to the word in just a moment. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, meeting with us in our various homes and cars and treadmills and who knows what else. But you're a great God and you walk with us through the various challenges of life. And so this morning as we gather, uh, would you come and meet with us uh, where we're at? Would you give us something new to inspire us towards becoming more and more like your son? And as we do that, we'll just give back praise to you. So thank you for what you're about to do. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand, join with us this morning as we worship God. 
Lord, come and fill this place. Father, we're crying 
Hey everybody, Sobel Christian Fellowship has been faithfully engaging in gospel ministry now for 30 years. And from the very earliest days, five couples, five courageous visionary couples who uh, dreamed about what God might be up to and about what God might be calling them to. And then, you know, fast forward through three decades of serving and giving and stepping out in faith and, and praying and uh, building and preaching and teaching. You know, if in 30 years, one person came to know Christ as a result of all of that effort, well, all that effort would be worthwhile a trillion times over. Why? Well, because such is the worth of one person. One person made in the image and likeness of God. One person, all people, are of unsurpassable worth, made in the image and likeness of God and worth Jesus dying for. And so in this series, we're really considering the nature of love. We're taking a, a slow walk through at least part of 1 Corinthians 13 and taking note of what Paul says love looks like and what doesn't look like. And here's what Paul says about love. It looks like patience and kindness, and it doesn't look like jealousy or boastfulness or pride or rudeness. And here's our working definition of love for this series. Love affirms unsurpassable worth in another. Love affirms or ascribes unsurpassable worth to another. Why? Because all people are made in the image and likeness of God and worth Jesus dying for. That's love. That's agape. We say agape love sometimes because agape is the Greek word that is translated love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Agape is the highest form of love. It's, it's the word that's used to describe God's love. You know, the famous verse, John 3:16, for God so agaped the world that he gave his one and only son. Even the, the, the new commandment that Jesus gives in John 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you agape one another as I've agaped you, that you agape one another. By this, by this agape that we have for each other, everyone will know it's gonna catch the attention of the world that we are followers of Jesus if we agape one another. And so agape means to ascribe unsurpassable worth to another. And agape has nothing to do with feeling. It's got nothing to do with feeling. God agapes you, not because you're so darn lovable. He agapes you because he chooses to do so. And he chooses to agape me, to love me as well. And so agape has nothing to do with feeling. It's a choice. Now, there are some Greek words that are translated love that do have to do with feeling. And we've talked about these um, before, but let's do like a 90 second review. There's the Greek word uh, storge, 
And storge refers to an affectionate love. This is an affectionate love of objects and characteristics. And so, uh, you know, it's not lost on me that today is February 13th, tomorrow is February 14th, Valentine's Day. And so, you know, a husband says to his wife, honey, I love your new hairdo. I love your smile. I love your kindness. That's storge, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, um, affectionate love. And it's just really helpful in a marriage relationship if there are just some things that you are naturally affectionate about uh, of your uh, marital partner. Um, and storge has, uh, it's got a lot to do with feeling and emotion. And, and the next one is uh, phileo. Phileo is a camaraderie kind of love. It's a, it's a deep and abiding friendship kind of love. And it too is so uh, helpful uh, in marriage. If, if husband and wife are just uh, have a deep friendship, kind of this idea of standing shoulder to shoulder and looking at life together as an, as an adventure. And, and uh, this uh, phileo love has certainly a connection to feeling and emotion. And, and the next one is eros. Eros is a romantic love. This is all about feelings. This is a sensual love. This is that soulmate kind of, of love. And, uh, you know, uh, Valentine's Day kind of um, commercializes that, uh, that kind of love, that romantic love. And of course, it's got lots to do with feeling, but agape has nothing to do with feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice to affirm unsurpassable worth in another because they're made in the image and likeness of God and they're worth Jesus dying for. And so for us as followers of Jesus, if we are to be the agape people that Jesus calls us to be, if we're to, to be people of love, uh, it's gonna require a, a couple of things to begin with. It's gonna require a commitment and an action. It's gonna require a commitment that we make at the very core of our being in our spirit where I just wanna be an agape person. I know I won't do it perfectly, but that's the direction that I want my life to go. It's, it's a commitment that we make at the core of our being. And then secondly, it's, it's an action. And the first action of agape is an action that takes place in our mind where we choose to agree with God about the worth of all people, all people, including our enemies, uh, Jesus says. And so having made the commitment and taken the action, well, now we want to learn to look at people and we want to learn to see what is most valuable about them. We want to learn to see what is most beautiful about them, namely that they're made in the image and likeness of God. They're of unsurpassable worth, worth Jesus sacrificing for, so they're certainly worth me sacrificing for. That's love. That's agape. Agape looks past the externals, right? To be able to see what is most precious about a person. And, you know, in all honesty, the externals can be pretty off-putting in some cases. And so agape looks, it's, it's blind to those externals and, and we've got to look past those externals. The behaviors, the attitudes, the appearances, the associations, to look past that. Agape's blind to that. And yet agape sees with great clarity what is actually most precious about a person, namely that they're made in God's image and worth Jesus sacrificing for. I once listened to a talk 
uh, given by a presenter. I was in the audience. And, um, and the presenter was talking about um, the need for us to learn to see past the externals and to see what is most precious about a person, namely their image bearers of, of God, and as a result are, are beautiful and of unsurpassable worth. And uh, he, he gave some different kinds of little uh, ways that we could experiment with this to try and train ourselves to, to see that in people. One of the ways was he said, maybe you look at people and you imagine a beam of light coming down on their head and allow that to kind of be a trigger to, um, to, to cause you to, you know, to look at them and to bless them. And to bless a person really is you know, to exercise your kingdom authority and just in your heart as you see somebody say, God, they're beautiful. I see your image in them. They're worth Jesus dying for. And, um, and so uh, one time I thought I would practice this and I remember it very clearly. It was late spring, 2019. Um, it was a Sunday. Gene and I had been part of our, um, our Blue Water uh, worship service that morning. And then that afternoon, we went to the Davidson Center, which is the sports complex in Kincardine. And it was late spring. The ice was out. And uh, the whole surface was set up as kind of a home and, and a cottage expo. And so there's all kinds of vendors and booths and people milling around. And so I decided when I got in there, as I saw people, I would try and imagine this beam of light on their head. And it'd be like, oh, that person has a beam of light on their head. And I would exercise my kingdom authority in my heart. I would just say, God, they're beautiful. I see your image in them. They're worth Jesus dying for. And so as I went around to the different vendors, rather than just looking at the stuff that was being sold, I would look at the vendor and I would bless them. I would see that beam of light. And then there'd be some, oh, that person over there has a beam of light on their head. And I kind of got excited about it. And you know, if you were to try this, it sounds maybe a bit kooky, but try it, bless them. And if you have opportunity, greet them and greet them in such a way as to express their worth, to affirm their worth, you know. And so I would, I would greet people with eye contact and a smile and an and, and engagement trying to affirm um, their worth. One thing um, I continue to do uh, to this day, and when I gas my car, thankfully it's a Ford, I don't have to gas it that often, but when I gas it up, um, I never pay at the pump. And not that there's anything wrong with doing that, I just choose not to pay at the pump, even though it's faster and more convenient. I go in the store, which these days is kind of a pain because you gotta put a mask on and you might be second or third in line and somebody might be trading in uh, like a million lottery tickets, you know, uh, winner, gang yon. Um, I've heard that a lot. But when I finally get to the front of the line and to pay, I like to, to imagine that beam of light on the clerk who's helping me on the other side of the desk. And I just ascribe worth to them in my heart. I bless them and see what's beautiful about them and, and uh, to greet them and to thank them. And sometimes if they've got a name tag, to use their name. And if they don't have a name tag, to ask them their name and to remember that name. And to add that name to my prayer list. Uh, so I'm not suggesting you need to do this, but it's just something I do. It's a small thing, but you know, it's all part of this notion that Jesus calls us to love all others. 
How? The way that he loves us. He said, as I've loved you. And how did Jesus love us? Well, sacrificially, unconditionally. And so to love as Jesus loves requires that we live from a place of fullness. That's the language that we've been using these last few weeks, this idea of living out of the fullness of the love of God. Living from a place of celebration of who we are in Christ, living out of the reality that all of our core longings are fully met by God in Christ. That's what it means when we talk about living from a place of fullness, living from a place of celebration, living in a mode that says, I just want to overflow with love to others. That's what it is to abide in Christ. That's what it is to walk after the Spirit. And here's what happens as you do that. As you see people and as you learn to see what is most precious about them, seeing past the externals, and as you exercise your kingdom authority and as you bless them and ascribe worth to them, you begin to see people the way God sees them. And you begin to feel the compassion that God feels for them. And it's, it's an incredible feeling. It's an overwhelming feeling. Now, we don't ascribe worth to someone simply to get the feeling, right? We don't walk by feeling, we walk by faith. But there's something visceral and powerful that happens when you begin to live out agape. As you exercise your kingdom authority and bless people and ascribe worth, you begin to feel their worth. You begin to see what God sees. You begin to feel what God feels. Now, I don't want to pretend that I live from that fullness all the time because I don't. But I would say that I think I'm visiting that place more and more often in my life. And it's a powerful feeling where you are just so filled with the love of God that you just can't contain it. You see their beauty. You see the beauty of the image of God in them. And when you experience that fullness, when you experience that abiding in Christ, that walking after the Spirit, when you experience that overflow of unconditional love, God's love through you, well, you just know. Like you just know there's this certainty that this is why I'm on planet Earth. This is why I'm here. This is what my life is about. This is my job description. And I believe it is. I believe this is the very job description of every follower of Jesus. But here's what's happening or what happens. As the hymn writer says, we're prone to wander. We have this proneness to uh, walk after the flesh this proneness to live from a place of emptiness rather than fullness, from a place of desperation rather than celebration. We have this proneness to want to try and meet our own core longings for worth and meaning and significance rather than living out of the reality that God has in fact met all of our core longings in Christ for free as a gift. Well, when I live from a place of emptiness. When I live from a place of emptiness, I will experience envy. I'll experience envy. Why? 
Because if I'm not getting my core longings met by God, I've got to try and get my core longings met from the things around me or the people around me. And I'm going to be trying to suction up uh, morsels of worth. And, and so are other people, which makes me uh, compete with them. There's only so many morsels of worth to go around. And if you're competing for the same morsel of worth that I'm competing for and you get it and I don't, uh, I'm going to be resentful. I'm going to be uh, angry. That's enviness. And um, you can't love someone and envy them at the same time. I can't ascribe unsurpassable worth to you while I am at the same time competing for worth with you. So envy and love are um, incompatible. Envy blocks the flow of love. When I live from a place of emptiness, I will experience boastfulness and, and pride and boastfulness and pride also block the flow of love because when I live from a place of emptiness, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to meet my own needs, my own core longings, and I'm going to poof up my peacock feathers, remember that? I'm going to poof up my achievements because I want to try and get some morsel of worth from you. I want to try and get you to give me, to feed me some morsel of worth. I want to try and get some affirmation from you, some, some recognition from you, a compliment from, from you. And so I boast, I perform, I poof my achievements so that you'll validate me. And boastfulness and pride also block the flow of love because I cannot ascribe worth to you while I am at the same time trying to um, get worth from you. Can't do both at the same time. And this is where rudeness comes in. When you live from a place of emptiness, you will be rude. Just like you'll be impatient, unkind, envious, boastful, proud, you will also be rude. And here's how it operates. If I'm walking after the flesh, if I'm living out of a self-sufficiency rather than a God-dependency, if I'm walking through life trying to meet my own core longings, and so everything is about meeting a need in my life, and therefore my relationships are about meeting a need in my life. And here's what inevitably happens. So for people, for someone who, who actually feeds me morsels of worth in some way, I'm gonna treat them very well. But if you have nothing to feed me with, if you've got nothing to offer me to meet my needs, then you have no worth for me. And rudeness blocks the flow of love because I cannot ascribe unsurpassable worth to you if I consider you worthless. I cannot ascribe unsurpassable worth to you while completely ignoring your worth. And that's what rudeness is all about. Rudeness treats people as if they have no worth. Rudeness says, I don't care what you think. I don't care about your feelings. I don't care about your opinions. They really don't matter to me because you have no worth. And when we operate from a place of emptiness, this will occur. It, it just will. It's like when you're at work, right? And the boss walks into the room and all of a sudden you turn into Mr. Nice or Mrs. Nice. But if it's just old worker B. Joe uh, coming into the room, you don't even notice him. That's rude. And it's, uh, it's all part of our strategy for getting our needs met. Now, before I say anything more about rudeness, I want to make a couple of uh, preliminary points. Uh, number one is this, and this comes out of 1 Corinthians 13. Anything you say, believe, 
or do without love is worthless. Anything you say, believe, or do without love is worthless. It's worthless in terms of building the kingdom of Jesus. It's worthless in terms of getting God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know, we're talking about rudeness today. And rudeness just seems so trivial, right? But it's actually supremely important. You know, several months ago, even before we began this series, as I was thinking about this series and, and looking through 1 Corinthians 13 and thinking uh, through about, um, you know, looking at love in, in, in some detail about what it looks like and what it doesn't look like, I was really nervous about getting to the very beginning of verse 5, where Paul says, love is not rude. Because I thought, how do you preach a sermon on rudeness? It's so, it's so you know, it's so trivial. It's so, um, you know, it seems so trite, right? Like imagine, you, so at the end of this uh, online um, gathering here, you turn off your computer, you shut down your smart TV and you're gonna go outside for a walk and your neighbor's out there uh, shoveling his driveway and your neighbor knows that you uh, take part in an online church uh, worship gathering. And uh, so your neighbor says, hey, uh, did, you, did you have your online church gathering this morning? And you say, yep, sure did. And they say, well, what did you learn? And you say, well, uh, we learned not to be rude, <laughs> right? And your neighbor goes, what? Like, you have to go to church to learn that? Didn't you learn that when you were three years old from your mother, right? Uh, it just seems kind of trivial. And maybe, you know, we might think, man, aren't there more exciting topics to talk about rather than rudeness? Like, can't we talk about spiritual warfare or, uh, you know, the second coming, like some of these big, big things? Rudeness just seems small. It seems trivial. And maybe you're, maybe you're thinking that. Maybe you're thinking, you know, Higginson, we're living in the last days. Like, who cares about rudeness? Like, why? How can we possibly get excited about a sermon on rudeness, right? But I tell you, after looking at this, I've done a complete 180. Um, rudeness is incredibly important. And um, we want to talk about why. But let's... You know, let's just review um, what Paul has said, the first uh, four plus verses of 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth, imagine that, and of angels, wow, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and possessed all knowledge, like imagine that. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, that's incredible, but I didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing, nothing of kingdom value, nothing in terms of getting the will of God done on earth as it is in heaven. Eugene Peterson in the message uh, renders uh, 1 Corinthians 13, three this way. So no matter what I say, what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. No matter what I say, what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Anything you do without love is worthless. 
in terms of building the kingdom of Jesus. Anything you believe, anything you say, anything you do is just so much religious noise if it's not motivated by love and producing love and being done for the purpose of furthering love. And we've talked about this quite a bit over the last several weeks. What gives value to everything we do is love because love is the center of the center. And so this first point, anything you say, believe, or do without love is worthless, right out of 1 Corinthians 13. And the second point is this, love isn't rude. Obviously, uh, basically a quote from the first part of verse 5 in 1 Corinthians, love isn't rude. Love is about being considerate. Love is about affirming the worth of another, and you can't affirm the worth of someone if you're ignoring their worth. And that's why rudeness and love are incompatible. Love is considerate and not being rude. Now, put on your logical cap, all right? Think about point one, think about point two, and put them together. And if you put them together and think it through, you must come to this conclusion. Therefore, any action you take, any belief you hold, any words you say, no matter how true, is nothing more than worthless religious noise if it's accompanied by rudeness. That's the conclusion. Any action you take, any belief you hold, any words you say, no matter how true, is nothing more than worthless religious noise if it's accompanied by rudeness. Now, I don't think we often think that way. But that's the logic of God's word. That's, the, that's the, the beautiful inner logic of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that when you're talking about rudeness, you're talking about something that is supremely important to God. It's right up there with the Trinity and the virgin birth and uh, inspiration of scripture and the second coming and all of that. You see, you can have the right view on the Trinity. You can have the right views on the inspiration of scripture. You can understand prophecy better than anybody else on planet earth. You've got it all figured out. But if you share it in a rude way, it's worthless. And that makes rudeness a huge issue. But here's what happens, and I'm sure you've seen this and experienced it, and so have I. Christian people get together and we debate and argue eschatology and pneumatology and bibliology. Like we never debate rudeness because it's not very important, right? We debate these other things because uh, that are so important, the Trinity and ecclesiology, and those things are important, they really are. But what happens is we get rude about them. We get mad and we become belligerent. We become judgmental about these things. And when we understand 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it means that when we become belligerent, it doesn't even matter if we're right, because it's worthless. It's altogether worthless, irritating religious noise. And that makes rudeness uh, worth talking about. In fact, that makes it essential that we have a collective conversation about rudeness. It's a central point. Now, why does that happen? We get together and we, uh, we debate, we argue, we get defensive, get rude. Why does that happen? Well, I've got a theory that I'll, I'll bounce off you. Uh, there are many people, including many Christian people, who live from a place of emptiness, as we've been talking about. 
And many uh, Christian people living from a place of emptiness try to get worth from the correctness of their opinions. They try to get worth from the, uh, from the rightness of their beliefs and the correctness of their opinions. I've got the right opinions. All of my opinions are the correct opinions. And maybe I post my opinions on social media trying to get the, the likes and the shares and the, and the, uh, the, the thumbs up and, and so on. Well, how do you know if you are getting worth from the correctness of your opinions? You will know as soon as somebody disagrees with one of your opinions. Because what you'll experience is an immediate defensiveness. You might experience your heart rate just tick up a few beats per minute. You'll maybe feel some warmth in your cheeks, a defensiveness. You'll maybe become argumentative and rude. You see, when you're getting worth from the correctness of your opinions and somebody debates your opinion, you perceive that as them debating your worth. And you know, we've seen this accelerated uh, during COVID. During the last couple of years, there has been a, a pandemic of rudeness, not just into our culture, but in the church as well. And you know, Christian people will talk about, you know, they'll have conversations about COVID or masks or about vaccines or um, passports. And now the current conversation is about convoys, right? That's in the news right now. And people become defensive and argumentative and judgmental and rude when somebody disagrees with their opinion. Because if you debate their opinion, they perceive it as you debating their worth. You see, let's say, let's say I've got an opinion about convoys, all right? It's way over here. And you've got an opinion about convoys and it's way over here. Kind of polar opposite views. But if you and I are each getting our worth from Jesus, from who we are in Christ, if we're living out of a fullness, living out of the reality that all of our core longings are fully met by God in Christ, then we can have a conversation. We can even have a debate. And we don't get defensive. And we don't get argumentative. And we don't get judgmental. And we don't get rude. And we don't have to stop being friends. And we don't have to shame each other on social media. And we don't have to stop attending the same church. Why? because we're not getting our worth from the correctness of our opinions, we're getting our worth from Christ. And so you can, you can debate my opinion and I don't take that personally because I'm not getting my worth from the correctness of my opinions, I'm getting my worth from Jesus. Now, for the last couple of minutes here, before we close, I wanna change gears just slightly and this is where we'll wanna kinda of pick up next week as well. As part of this whole conversation that we're having this morning, we can have a proneness, when particularly living from a place of emptiness, we can have a proneness to look at passages of Scripture like 1 Corinthians 13 and see it as simply Paul giving us one more ethical to do, one more ethical rule to remember and follow. Why are we prone to want to do that? Well, here's why. It's because we're addicted to our knowledge of good and evil, which is the very essence of our fallen state. And it causes us to 
want to try and take everything in the New Testament as a thou shalt or a thou shalt not that we somehow try really hard to do or try really hard not to do. So you think, you know, it goes back to Genesis 3. You think about that. Think about God. God saying to Adam and Eve, you know, you guys, you've got the run of the garden. You can eat the fruit of all of these trees except for one. There's one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that tree. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. Like, what's the deal with that prohibition? What would it have meant for Adam and Eve to, to honor that prohibition? Well, basically, it would have meant them saying, okay, God, you be God, and we'll be who you created us to be. We'll be the lovers that you created us to be, lovers of you, lovers of each other and all others. You be God. You be judge. You judge good and evil. You're the one uniquely equipped and qualified to do that. You're omniscient. You see everything with perfect clarity. There's nothing ambiguous to you, God. You, you be God. You be the judger of good and evil. We'll be the lovers you created us to be. But Adam and Eve weren't content with that arrangement. Not at all. And they bit hard on that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they became judgers rather than lovers, and we've been addicted to judgment ever since. And we judge as if we're omniscient, but we're not. And so it can become so easy for us to hear like this message this morning. It would become so easy to hear it as a thou shalt not be rude. Like some ethical mandate that you gotta go out and try really hard. Try really hard not to be rude. Add that to-do to your other 9,927 to-dos and, and, and try really hard. And, you, and your focus is on your behavior. See, and when your focus is on your behavior, it's naturally going to be on the behavior of others as well. And it activates your judger and your assessing all of the time. And when your focus is on your behavior and on the behavior of others, guess where your focus is not? It's not on Christ. And your judger is activated. You're judging as if you're omniscient like God, but you're not. And so unintentionally, you take a biblical principle and turn it into a, an ethical to-do or a moral imperative. See, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is not giving us a thou shalt not be rude. That's not what he's doing. He's not telling us to go out and try our hardest not to be rude. What he is saying is live in love. And he gives us some aids in that chapter to know when we're not living in love. And so when we begin to see rudeness creeping into our experience, the solution is not to try really hard not to be rude. The solution is not to somehow, you know, bite our tongue and not say that thing that we want to say. The solution is to live in love, to live out of the fullness of the love of God, to live out of that place. That's, that makes all the difference. You know, or is Christianity merely a, a list of moral imperatives and ethical to-dos? Well, no, it's not. It's, it's about living out of the fullness of God's love. Just in closing, um, this is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's the, the, we know it as the fruit of the Spirit passage. This, this passage is, is very much a, a companion to 1 Corinthians 13. They're really complementary of of one another, it's, uh, it would be a good thing to study them in tandem. And so Paul says, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But if we're operating from a place of emptiness, if we're operating out of our addiction of the knowledge of good and evil with our addiction to judgments, what we can hear is, thou shalt be loving, thou shalt be joyful, thou shalt be peaceful, thou shalt be patient, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt. And now you go out and you try your hardest to do the fruit of the Spirit, right? But if you think of it, if you could do the fruit of the Spirit, it wouldn't be the fruit of the Spirit. Like it's called the fruit of the Spirit because it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so Paul's not saying, hey, here's, here's a list of nine new to-dos for you. Add these to your list. Try really hard to do them. Give it your best shot. But when we hear these as thou shalt's, we start working on them. We focus on our behavior. We focus on the behavior of others. And when our focus is on behavior, it's not on Christ. Our focus is on ourselves and how am I doing and am I doing okay and how am I doing uh, on the fruit of the Spirit? Oh, I better try harder here. I better, you know, I got, I got to do better there. And since we're looking at our behavior, we're looking at the behavior of others and our judger kicks in and we start telling people, you know, you got to be joyful, got to be joyful, got to try really hard. Ready, set, go, be joyful. Got to be, got to have self-control, you know, on your market set, go, have self-control. I'm trying really hard. You need to try really hard too. And all the while we miss the point. We miss the point of 1 Corinthians 13 and we miss the point of uh, Galatians 5. This is not Paul saying, hey, here's nine more to-dos for you to try really hard. In fact, Paul's saying the opposite. He's saying, give up, give up. Give up on that try hard track. Give up on that do better track. There's no life in that. He's saying, rather, learn to live from a place of fullness. Learn to enjoy the outrageous grace of Jesus. Walk in the Spirit. Live from that place of fullness. Learn to enjoy the Christ who lives in you. And here's what it will look like when you do that. It's going to look like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's what living life loved looks like. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible, lavish love. May we live in celebration this week out of the fullness of your love. And may it just naturally spill over in beautiful agape to those around us. For Christ's sake.
buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me let's sing it together then came the
Well, that's it for our morning. Quick question for you before you go. How can we pray for you? If you head over to prayer.sobblechurch.ca, you can uh, leave us a little form there that will tell us how we can pray for you, praise with you, how we can uh, hear some of the stories about what God is doing in your life. And with our various prayer ministries through the week, including our staff meeting, uh, we can lift those things before the Father with you. So help us to partner with you in that. How can we pray for you? All right, that's it for uh, this week. Thank you for investing the time. We'll talk to you again soon. Blessings. Thank you.